Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. You know, Dale Carnegie, they always tell you the sweetest thing is when somebody says your name. And I do. I like hearing my name. But imagine somebody going out and saying, doing a show, say their name. And it's for something else totally different. The next, the next voice you'll be hearing is the CEO of DCP Entertainment, Mr. Chris Colbert. And when you hear his story about Say Their Name podcast, we'll be right back at these messages. OpenWorks is Baltimore's largest makerspace, offering access to tools ranging from 3D printers to welders and training in how to use them. OpenWorks also offers affordable studio space, a coffee shop, and fun-free events throughout the year. But OpenWorks is more than a public workshop. It's a community of creative professionals, students, seniors, entrepreneurs, and makers of all kinds. Check out the website at www.openworksbmore.org or Instagram at open underscore works underscore be more for class schedules membership options and welcome folks back to this no picks after dark podcast again my name is aaron dante i'm your host we are back action pack season back to business that's the name of this season back to business folks and i'm so happy to have this person on my show i've been trying to get this guy on my show probably i want to say a year this guy has been everywhere from la to texas doing amazing things. And guess what, folks? You know, I always shine bright light on Baltimore. He's from Baltimore area. Are you, come on, folks. He's from the Baltimore area. What are we talking about? He's doing big things. So without further ado, Mr. Chris Colbert, he is the CEO of DCP Entertainment, a media company that I'm going to read. I'm going to read everything off because I'm like, I can give him his flowers. <laughs> we're not, not, not going to stop because this is back business. We always want to salute people doing big things. Chris Colbert, is the CEO and founder of DCP Entertainment, a media platform underrepresented voices, including people of color, women, and the LGBTQ plus community and overlooked communities. He began his career at Sirius XM, helping create Jamie Fox comedian, comedian musical is a music channel, The Foxhole. Having worked with names like Jamie Fox, Joanne Reed, Zach Levitt, Andrew Jenks, Essence, People Magazine, Crooked Media, Sports Illustrated, the United Negro College Fund, the White House, Chris specializes in documentaries, media partnerships, and content development. We're not done, folks. With a passion connecting audiences with innovative, inspiring content, Chris founded DCP Entertainment, a place to bring people together in audiovisual storytelling. He's also executive producer and writer and co-host of the Weeby and New York Festival award-winning podcast series, Say Their Name. Oh, I mean, what I mean, we... we <laughs> How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Just like you were saying, it's nice to hear people say your name. It's nice to hear people say your credits, man. That, that feels good. Hey, you know what? We I want to live in the present. I want to give people the flowers that they need. They, they, you deserve your flowers. We're going to do it while you're alive. We're going to talk, give you the love. Not, oh, after the fact. We want to show love to you. So, again, thank you for coming on the show. You're from Baltimore. Tell people a little bit about that. Yeah, from the Baltimore area. I'm a, I'm a county boy. Uh, you know, grew up most of my life. We moved around a lot growing up, but primarily in the Hartford County area. Uh, Bel Air is where I spent most of my days. Uh, so, you know, went to Bel Air Middle School, John Carroll School. So people, you know, familiar with the area. Um, you know, that's where I, I was raised. But even once I moved, my mother was in uh, Timonium, Owings Mills. And Owings Mills actually touches, you know, Randallstown, which we'll touch on a little bit later in terms of, you know, one of the stories that we're highlighting and say their name. But, you know, very much pride in, in being from the Baltimore area. 
I felt like I, I got more pride once I left Baltimore. Like I, I couldn't stand Baltimore club when I was down there. It was just too much. And then I left Baltimore. I couldn't get enough of the percolator. I wanted to hear the postman. <laughs> like, oh, you miss home when you're not there. So I really appreciate what you're doing with this podcast. Hey, and that's what it's about, you know, just showing a love for Baltimore, people who are doing things outside of Baltimore, who are from here, who are doing, making huge impacts everywhere in the world. And we're here to salute you, sir. And that's very important, saluting you for coming out and coming on the show. So let's get right down to business. DCP Entertainment. What is that? What's, I mean, how did you start that? Like, what's going on with that? Like, what made you want to do your own entertainment company? Well, yeah, as you mentioned, like I, I started my career at Sirius XM Radio, creating Jamie Foxx's radio station. And as I was there, I was there for 11 years, worked up the corporate ladder from intern all the way up to director of urban talk and comedy. So I love to say it's the politically correct way of saying I ran black and Latino focused programming for Sirius XM. So from the bottom all the way to the top. Um, and through that journey, I just noticed that. First, most, you know, first I was noticing that there weren't enough opportunities for people of color to be able to have these truly representative shows of our community. And not just looking at the hosts themselves, but do this, does the staff reflect those, you know, that same audience that they're trying to reach? And beyond that, okay, yes, you have black hosts speaking to, you know, working with black staff, speaking to black audiences, but is that show that is, you know, so black, is that getting the same level of promotion that say a white cis male hosted program is getting? Is it getting the same level of talent booking, promotion, marketing? Most of the time, no. And it wasn't just what I was seeing in my current company. I was looking across the media landscape. And as I started really looking at across the media landscape for black folks, I realized other people of color, Latin, you know, the Latinx community, Asians, but then also women, LGBTQ+, people with disabilities were having these same issues. And so I wanted to create a space with DCP Entertainment that would encompass all those communities and serve as a place for true representation. And I'm specific about using that terminology, true representation, because it's not just one thing to have a Black female host uh, who's a lesbian talking about lesbian Black issues. No, you can have somebody who's a great political commentator and happens to be part of those groups. That is also representation. You don't have to just go out there and say, hey, look at me, I'm a black lesbian woman. No, being representative in that space is just as important, if not more important, to show the breadth of the kind of voices that we have. We're not a monolith and that's not just black folks. That's again, all these other communities that I mentioned. And so that was the basis for creating DCP Entertainment because I felt that trying to do that in these major media companies that have already created a certain culture is going to be too difficult. I've tried a little bit within the companies that I served in, and I realized that it's going to be much better for me to create this space, create these opportunities for others, and hopefully at the same time showcase to other major networks or even startups like ourselves that we're worth taking a chance on. You know, there's so much talent out there, and so we can only take on so much of it. So we also understand that part of this journey that we're on is also about elevating other companies, other podcasts who are doing similar things. Hey, I, I love that. I love hearing what you're talking about. I, we spoke briefly, and I told you when I won Best of Baltimore the second year in a row, when Baltimore Sun reached out to me, thank you, you know, they reached out and said, we want to do an article on you. And I cried. And the lady said, why are you crying? I said, because it's tears of joy. You hit it right on the head. It's all about representation matters. And to see my black face on the Baltimore Sun for podcasting, that right there, my phone, my DMs, everything blew up after that because people are like, how can I podcast? How can I learn how to do this? Can you help me out? That alone is what it's all about. Yep. Showing others that we can do the same thing as everybody else is doing. You know, there's other people doing things, but there are great black voices in the community. 
and I and I, I just we just I now have a group called Charm City Collective Media that we do something like that. We have a great voices that talking about different things, and I just really appreciate what you're doing on your level. No, thank you. And and what what you're saying is super important. Like the the ability to showcase to others what is possible, but then also reaching back and helping those who you see as talented or see have this this mission driven uh you know kind of approach and now you can give them real advice to help them get to where you are help them get get to where they want to be i think it's really important that we are we're constantly helping each other especially in media spaces that tend to be white cis male uh, and so yeah for you to be on the baltimore sun for podcasting an industry that has traditionally been male and 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 white is incredible so yeah congratulations to you on that two years running that's impressive i appreciate it appreciate it. let's get let's let's get into it let's really get into it here so say their name all right where did this all where did the birth of this come from like like where did this inspire did you come from where i need to do something about this i need to talk about stories out there that need to be told from people who i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell what it's about i'm gonna let you talk i'm gonna let you explain it let you sure explain. yeah it's um so my chief content officer at dcp entertainment her name is adele coleman we go back she also used to work at sirius xm and she was you know someone who ran our urban ur, our, our uh, sorry she ran our urban view channel um which is all about news issues uh politics centered around the black community and so when we were working there together uh, we had talked about, okay, can we create a program that can speak to these unarmed black people being killed by police and in these stand their ground states? And when it first started, it was actually her really pitching this idea of, hey, you know, I'd love a series that focuses on the women being impacted by police violence. And, you know, we tried our best to make it happen at Sirius. We weren't able to just, you know, the resources that we had at our disposal. And so we put it on the back burner. And when I eventually left and she left shortly after I did, she joined me at DCP and as we're creating content for these other great hosts like Torre and Danielle Moody, Reverend Mark Thompson, we want to create something also of our own because we had all these great ideas at Sirius. And the first thing that came back to us was say their name. Not only is it just something that we felt like, you know, could be a great program, but we felt it was necessary in that time. So this is, you know, to transport you back, this was 2018 when we started talking about this idea again. And the idea came from the fact that as we were looking at these situations happening, we were noticing that, first of all, people weren't talking about the lives that were led. So we were focusing a lot on, on what happened to these individuals, how they were killed by police, or you know what even sometimes, you know, what's that aftermath and, and the back and forth through the courts and things like that. But we weren't talking enough about what was their sense of humor like? What was their life trajectory? What was you know, their relationship with their family? What was that dynamic? What is lost by not having them here? And also to better understand the family, like what was the family dealing with before this happened? And now how does that affect them moving forward? And so that's that second piece. Even the people who are most well-intentioned, who are putting out hashtags and, and uh, you know, talking, if you're a media person, you know, interviewing these folks, a lot of times it's centered around the incident itself again. And we're not talking about, okay, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, what are these families still dealing with or new things that they're dealing with? Even if they get a big settlement, we don't talk about where's that money going. We think someone gets a $20 million settlement. Sometimes the families don't get any of that money, which we'll probably touch on a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but also there's, there's times where, yes, they do get the money, but lawyers then get that cut. And then sometimes family members or community members are trying to sue them and dip into their pockets for that money. And sometimes these people are in tough communities. And so getting that money causes them more problems because now people are trying to rob them, you know, because like, all right, you got your come up. Hey, we all need to eat here. So, <laughs> but these are things you don't find out until you talk directly to these families. And so that was the other thing we were noticing that 
these families were being used for sound bites and not really being given a true platform to speak their truth, not only to who these individuals were, but also, again, that ongoing battle for justice. And so that is our approach as we come with Say Their Name. It's a docu-series where we literally go into the homes of these families, talk to them about who their loved one was and, and you know, again, what is lost by them not being here. But then we really, you know, get detailed about, okay, what is this ongoing battle for you from a legal standpoint, from a mental health care and emotional health care kind of standpoint? Um, some of these families don't even know the officer's name who killed their, their child. So, you know, they're still just trying to get information. So these are things that we don't learn about until we give these people a platform to truly own uh, their own story and their own narrative without having to feel like they're going to be, you know, taken out of context or going to be used as a way to create a different narrative that they weren't intending to. So, yeah, that's uh, what we've been doing with Say Their Name. And the last thing I'll mention is that as part of this, because we know that we're going into these homes and ripping these emotional rough you know band-aids off of people you know we're reopening trauma wounds we always want to make sure we're giving back in some kind of tangible way at the same time so throughout these last two years that we've been doing this series uh we also raise money through crowdfunding uh right now we're doing it through uh gofundme but we're also working on some other partnerships to raise money where 100 percent of those proceeds go directly to these families um, and so we want to make sure that we're giving back to them financially, even though they need other kinds of support as well. And that's why it's also important to listen to this series, because they will tell you how best to support them. Wow. Wow. Now, you start say 2018. Would you say when you started, when did it, you, would you say it kicked up even more with the George Floyd situation? Did you say, because I, I remember that's when I was paying attention to this show, what you had going on. Like, I, like that's where I was like, oh. Like after the fact, it was like, oh, he's hitting right. He's 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 right on. They 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 are on it right now. Like that's where I saw it. So where where do you think? Like did the say their name take off? When did it, when was the first episode? And when did he start? You start seeing it take off. So though I mentioned that 2018 is when we started having these conversations of okay, we need to bring this back. You're right. We actually didn't come out with our first season in terms of being able to have people listen to it until after George Floyd. So right. just right. to kind of to shore up that timeline, 2018, we really started kind of what we call pre-production, really, you know, understanding what are the stories we're going to tell, who are the families we're going to tell, you know, these stories of, um, and also how are we going to do this? How are we going to fund this? Um, how are we going to roll this out? And so that took about a year for us to do. So it wasn't until about November of 2019, when we first started going out on the road. And that's when I first went to Houston um, to talk to a couple families, the family of Robbie Tolan and uh, 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 also the family of Danny Ray Thomas uh, in the Houston area. And when we got back from that, I learned after talking to the families something I didn't understand, which makes a lot of sense, which is the holidays can be really tough for these families. So we were getting close to Thanksgiving and Christmas. So after understanding how tough the holidays could be, we decided, hey, we're not going to reach out to any other families until after we hit the new year. So we now get to about mid to late January, you know, uh, 2020. And, uh, I, you know, we were you know, planning, we were talking to certain families about coming back out and starting to record with them. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hits. And so we just, hey, we want to be safe, don't want to fly around, potentially infect families that we're going to be with. So we took a backseat, didn't do anything for a few months, and then George Floyd happened. George Floyd was killed. We obviously saw the, the uproar uh, in the community there, but also just around the country. And we've decided that, all right, we have to go back out and finish this project immediately. Um, because we also, unfortunately, understand that America's attention when it comes to you know, people of color and other marginalized communities is very short. 
So they're only, you know, yes, they're everybody's super well-intentioned, wants to give money, wants to support, but that usually only lasts for a few months or a year if we're lucky. And so we knew we had to jump on it. So what we ended up doing is, um, unfortunately, my chief content officer, Adele, my, my co-host and, and co-executive producer on the project, she was, you know, away, you know, having a child. So I grabbed my mom and we, um, we got, rented a car and drove around the country for three weeks um, and went down to Florida, up to Ohio, Minnesota. Like we went to all these different places driving around the country for three weeks and gathered all the rest of this, this information. And it was important for us to try to get it out before the 2020 election, because we also understood you know, that a lot of legislation um, that's gonna help these families or prevent these situations from happening is tied to who we put into office locally and nationally, especially locally though. And so we really want to help make sure that we got the project out in October of uh, 2020 before that election happened to help educate people, especially again, around those local elections and why your community council, I'm sorry, your uh, city council makes a huge difference um, and why these you know, sheriffs that are sometimes elected by you, again, make a huge difference. So yeah, that's uh, kind of you know, the timeline of, of what made us uh, come out in 2020. But we had planned this before George Floyd. George Floyd is just really what helped us to, to maybe capture more people's attention um, because people were now more focused on these issues that we've been facing for years, decades, centuries. All right, be right back, folks. The No Picks After Dark podcast is proudly partnered with Maggie's Farm. Located at 4341 Hartford Road, Maggie's Farm offers a unique dining experience with delicious handcrafted cocktails and mouth-watering cuisine from falafels to scallops and everyone's favorites, honey sriracha cauliflower wings. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m., Tuesday through Saturday, and for brunch, Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. With delectable chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits, biscuits and gravy, and more. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there's something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, online ordering, carry out, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Hartford Road, open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m., or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com, and you too can be filled by Zeke's. We're back, folks, and we're talking with Mr. Chris Culver, um, the CEO of DCP Entertainment, the host of Say Their Name, and he's breaking it down to us about this project that he's been working on that has won awards for, you know, for what he's been doing. And, you know, he reached out and said, Hey, like, I, I, let's, let's do the show. And I said, all right, all right, let's, let's talk. Let's talk about what do you, what do you want to talk about? He said, I'm coming back to Baltimore and I'm doing the show in Baltimore. And I said, well, you know, you know, you, you hit the right person up, man. Let's, let's talk. <laughs> and I remember the story. He said, the first name he said was Corinne Gaines. And immediately I just remember African-American woman being held up in her house and things had progressed. Police came and right now she's not living with this anymore. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I don't really know too much about what anything else except for what the media has told me. 
That's all I know is what the media has told me. I don't know anything else. I, I don't know anything about her. I know she had a daughter, I think, maybe. Yep, she had two she kids, actually. Two kids. And I just, that's all I knew. And it was sad. And then it was a lawsuit happened and the money. And I, the story got lost. It was a sensational story for five minutes, like kind of like you said in the beginning. And then it goes away. Yep. Let's talk about Miss Corinne Gaines. This episode's coming out very soon. It's going to be out by the time this episode comes out. But I want my listeners to listen to what you had to say. Yeah, Corinne Gaines is, is so Corinne was a story that we really want to tell in our first season. We're now in our second season. And, you know, just as things happen in the, in the lives of these families and, and just overall production when it comes to creating these kind of projects, we weren't able to, to make that happen. And so this season, we really want to have this major focus around the women impacted by police violence. And Corinne was one that just as we were reading these police reports, and unfortunately these police, I mean, these police reports, these media reports, a lot of times they're based just on the police reports. So we knew that we were missing, there were some gaps in the information, but even what we were seeing in the media reports just seemed egregious in terms of what happened to her, which I'll mention in a second, but then also the ongoing battle that this family is having, they got a settlement of, you know, 20 some million dollars and the judge won't give it to them. Um, they, literally a jury said, all right, this family deserves this money for X, Y, and Z reasons. It was supposed to be a jury trial. Everybody had agreed on that. The judge had agreed upon that. And then he decided to come back later and say, you know what? The jury's wrong. They did this because they were feeling sympathetic. And so he took the money away. And now they're still fighting to try to get the money that was already awarded to them. And only certain media outlets have, have updated people on that story. You know, some media outlets have just left it as the family got money. And so some people believe the family has gotten 20 some million dollars and they have received none of that. So. Back to what actually happened to her and part of why we felt it was important to tell this story and some of the things that we learned in, in, in telling it is that Corinne was somebody who was super active in the community in terms of really trying to be a voice for the black community, especially after Freddie Gray was killed. Um, when Freddie Gray died and, and was, was killed in, in the back of that police van, she was already doing a lot of Facebook lives, trying to encourage people to understand what's happening. But when he was killed, it, it just took it to the next level. And... At the same time, we find out now, having talked to her family, there were these little incidents happening with her and the police that led her to needing to be armed in her home. We find out through talking to the family that she um, uh, she came out one day, uh, I guess, you know, something had happened with the, the MTA, but they literally just took her her license plates away. So she just came out from a store or, or you know, somewhere she was and her license plate weren't there anymore. And she's trying to track down, trying to get her license plates. And while she's doing that, she puts some cardboard license plates on and is using, uh, and I'm, I might get this wrong, but using like this uh, sovereign immunity kind of, you know, she's thinking that she doesn't have to have tags because she's a sovereign American. You know, she's just still understanding what this may mean. So she gets pulled over and, you know, for not having tags and she gets in this back and forth, which actually you can find this on the internet and we feature it in the series, but there's this back and forth with the police. Eventually they do end up having to take her to jail what we find out through the family is that because of what happened to her and her uh, the neglect that happened to her when she was there, I think she was dehydrated. She was also still pregnant. She lost her pregnancy in uh, being held up there. And so I'm saying all this quickly. And, you know, when you listen to this series, you'll be able to hear it more succinctly. But I'm saying this quickly because this is all the information that helps you understand why she was in home. Why, why when she was at home and she saw police coming, she was scared. She had just seen Freddie Gray be killed. She had just lost her child being held by the police. Uh, and now also you find out that her place was recently robbed by somebody, not the police, but her house was recently robbed. So she had gotten herself a shotgun. So now when the police are just sneaking up to her home unannounced, she's arming herself because she doesn't trust them. 
but these are the things that you don't know unless you're able to fully get that narrative from the family and tell it in a succinct way so that people can be like, oh, well, if this happened to me, I would feel that way too. But when you leave those key details out, you think, oh, this woman's crazy. Why is she sitting in her house with a shotgun and her, and her child in the place? Mm -hmm. But you need this additional information because context is important. What will listeners take away from this episode? It's two episodes, correct? Correct. Yeah, we our first episodes, we really focus a lot on the individual telling their story, who they were, what they laughed about, all that. And then the second one is more that ongoing journey for justice. And what will listeners take away from what do you hope the listeners take away from both of these episodes? I think in the first episode, taking away that we lost a powerful voice Like this could have been a, a great civil rights leader for us. And we never know what she could have done if she really was able to, like, she was so young, she was in her 20s, like, she was just understanding what her power is, how to utilize that voice, and also understanding how the system works, and how she can, you know, be somebody who can help to make it better for us, people of color, women, everybody. And so I think that's one thing that you take away from this, um, because that's something I didn't think about. I just saw this woman in her house with a shotgun on Facebook Live. I'm like, oh, she, you know, she feels a certain way about the police, but you don't realize the, how deep it was in terms of how she's trying to change things for good. I think the other thing you take away, especially then listening to the second episode, are the roadblocks that are put in front of us and when we're trying to get justice. And when we do finally get justice in some kind of sentence, I say finally get justice in terms of getting some money. Real justice is our people not being killed. Secondary, it's people being charged when they kill our loved ones. But the third piece is, okay, let's make the family whole, at least financially, to help them with what they're struggling with. Well, even when we get that kind of justice, that gets taken away from us many times. So I think that's what the audience will take away from this and also understanding how this encompasses so many different areas, politics, the judicial system, the policing system, but also the media and the media's responsibility to tell these stories in a way that, okay, if things are, if there are updates, you need to make it as widely known as possible that, you know, this, this, this situation is still ongoing and not just running with whatever the first police narrative is. Cause unfortunately, they're gonna skew it in a way that makes them look as best as possible. So I think that's something you get from all of our episodes, but particularly with this one, I think that's really something that stands out. Wow, that's uh, powerful. And now you mentioned that they, I mean, I was under the assumption, and you know, now you know, you had me think, I thought they had already received the money. I remember the jury rewarded the money and then the, then the judge is holding everything up. Is there anything about this judge that you guys touch upon about the, in this series about, is there any background about him doing something like this in the past or? Does he have any patterns? Or do we so unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, we weren't able to unearth any patterns. Not to say that there aren't any there, but we weren't able to unearth that. The one thing I, I will say that I think really stands out here is the judge is retired now, but he has taken himself out of retirement to insert himself in this case and refuses to recuse himself in the case. So it's like, it's almost like he has this personal vendetta against the family, or maybe he's, maybe, I, I you know, this is speculation. So, hey, right. you know, this is not, you know, this is uh, um, allegedly, <laughs> but no, he, maybe he's covering for somebody. You don't know these things. There's so many of relationships between these judges and the police because you have to think police are constantly taking people to court. So it's only natural. They're going to develop relationships with judges and prosecutors and things like that. So I think in the situation of this judge, the fact that he's retired and has taken himself out of retirement to continue to hold this money away from the family, I think says a lot. Hmm. And what did you like? What was the biggest impact you like stories? I mean, you've done a lot of these stories. How have you looked at the judicial system and everything differently now? Like, what do you see differently? Like before you came into it, like you might say, oh, well, maybe it's just not the way. And now after the fact, after doing these stories, you're kind of like seeing things differently. 
I know like I've seen like, you know, you like, I, I remember I followed you a lot and there's plans where police are following you. And that's a whole <laughs> new episode that we can't talk about. Oh, LA, like, man. Yeah, in LA, in LA. So again, like, do you see things a lot differently now? When like after doing this project, do you this project say their name? I'd say a little differently. I think I've always been, you know, woke. Like even when I was young, I was reading COINTELPRO papers. Uh, my mom now knows why we ran out of paper because that that thing was deep. Um, <laughs> but so I've always kind of known there was issues with the system, but I didn't realize how how deeply it ran. So for me, I think what I've been able to notice, and some of this has been in the work that we do with these specific families, but some has just been now reading more and watching more about all these situations happening. From the judicial side, um, I feel like they, they try to run the clock out on us from a few different ways. They try to exhaust the family, and this is the police and the judicial system kind of working together, but they try to exhaust you financially and emotionally. So they're going to put off the case for a couple years and you know see if you just give up um, or just take a settlement so you can be done with it. Um, you know, there's other things that you talk about with the police of like, you know, surrounding people, you know, uh, following people and stuff like that, as you mentioned. But from the judicial side, what they also then do is, you know, these appeals. So, OK, you might win. All right. Now we're going to take these appeals and go all the way up the court. And again, now we're going to draw this out to seven, eight years so that finally you just say, you know what? I can't do anymore. Robbie mm -hmm. Tolan, that happened to him with his case down in Houston. He's one of the people who lived and is able to tell his story. But he fought for seven years, got a win in the Supreme Court. But then it got kicked down back to the lower courts. And he's like, now I have to do this for another seven years? And mm -hmm. it's just you, you want to give up. And then, again, it has this emotional taxing. You know, a lot of these family members end up developing uh, physical issues, internal issues, cancer, and things like that because of the stress, because of the anxiety. And they die early, heart attacks. Um, and so I think that's another thing that, that has opened my eye. My eyes have been open to lately in doing this series. Um, the other two is when you're talking about the, the, the piece of justice in terms of the officers getting fired or, or getting charged, a lot of times what you see is you'll charge an officer and then you have to wait a year or two before they go to trial. And then they let them off because no one's paying attention anymore because the news has moved on. A year or two later, we're not paying attention. So... Uh, I'm forgetting which case it is, but I think it, it was something that happened in Georgia where, okay, we charged somebody a year later, we just let them off now and no one paid attention. No one had any upcry on social media. I think I posted a few things, but I saw very little and I'm sorry, I can't give you the exact you know, specific situation. And, um, but yeah, this is what happens. They try to, to either exhaust you or get the media attention somewhere else. And then they're going to go and, and let somebody off and uh, continue to let this pattern happen over and over again. Wow. Wow, you dropped you dropped a lot. You dropped a lot, man. And Sorry I, with all I, my I, tangents. There's just so much. I'm like, no, oh, what, no, how do I download I you on all this? I mean, <laughs> you will not talk forever, man. I mean, this is, I, and I've told you in the past, this is going to be part one of us talking because we're going to bring you back. And there's more connections to Baltimore with us. We can't let you guys know that just yet. But <laughs> tell people where we can find this, uh, your episodes, when it's coming out. Like I said, one of the two will be out before this come out, but where can we find it? Um, and just the information where we can find you on social media, the internet, TikTok, and I don't know what everybody does nowadays. <laughs> yeah, I'll make it easy for you. So our, our company, DCP Entertainment, you can uh, go to our website. It's DCP official. So DCP official.com. And then on all social media, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's at DCP official. Um, in terms of the series itself, you can go to dcpofficial.com. You can listen to it directly there. Um, but also any podcast listening platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, um, you know, you can be able to check out the uh, the podcast, say their name there. 
the logo is very similar to this shirt that you see right here. So just look out for that symbol. Look out for the DCP logo. Um, and the one other thing I'll just mention with this series, as I mentioned in the beginning, we were very much focused this season on the women impacted by police violence, though we do still touch on a lot of the men. Um, and so in telling the, these stories of women, we talk about people like Miriam Carey, killed by the Capitol Police. Um, and it gives this crazy juxtaposition of how the 1-6 insurrection happened and how she was treated. Literally, she was killed. I mean, she was killed in the car with her one-year-old daughter or her one-year-old child there. You know, we tell the story of Pamela Turner in Houston, Texas, uh, having a mental health crisis and somebody who was literally just trying to pick up trash outside and got killed by a police officer. So there's so Rakia Boyd in Chicago, Betty Jones in Chicago. There's these stories that maybe you've heard about, but unfortunately, especially when it comes to the women, we move on so quickly. And so, yeah, we really want you to, to be part of listening to this season and spreading the word about our, what we're doing with the podcast, but more specifically about these individual families and how you can be of service in helping them. Well, folks, you heard it here. We do. I do one little thing at the end of my episodes. I'll do one little thing. I didn't tell you about this. You know, I don't know if you listen, but I do three. I, I'm narrowing it down to three things. Okay. Because you're a Baltimore guy. You're a Baltimore America. Crab cakes or crabs? <laughs> I'm allergic to seafood. <laughs> I say I say this is God's cruel joke on me to raise me in Baltimore and not be able to eat seafood, man. Every Saturday my house was crabs uh, and uh, and beer. And I was too young for the beer, couldn't eat the crabs, so I love me some grilled hot dogs. So I'm, I'm going to take option C. Option C, wings? Okay, okay. Wings, <laughs> do you like blue cheese or ranch? Neither. I neither? Ooh, neither, man. Don't don't mess it up with some blue cheese. Or some, <laughs> I'm messing up all your questions here, but yeah, give me it's straight no chaser. Good. It's all good. And what's the, what is the most impactful advice you've ever received? Ooh, that was a real tough one. Um, take breaks. Um, I'm really bad at it still. Um, and I guess that's why I'm, I'm saying that one now. It's take breaks. I think, especially when you're doing mission-driven work, you can get lost in, in you know, really being in the mix. But to be effective and to be effective for the long term, you have to make sure you're not burning yourself out and that you're taking breaks and enjoying life. So, yeah, taking breaks and, and getting that work-life balance is extremely important. And how often do these episodes come out? Just to repeat, how often do these episodes come out? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I forgot to mention. So every Monday. So um, every Monday, we you know started the season beginning of January. We're going to be going all the way through, I believe, um, uh, March or April. Um, so yeah, every Monday, you can look out for a new episode. And there's two episodes for every individual that we focus on. I love it. I love it, folks. You heard it here, folks. I'm so excited. Thank you so much, Mr. Chris, for coming on the show. It's been a great experience. Thank you so much. Folks, thank you. Check me on No Picks in the Dark on IGs, Twitter, on YouTube, TikTok, anything you want to find me. There's no P picks and O P I X. That's how we find me. No Picks in the Dark podcast. Thank you guys so much. Love, peace, and happiness. We're out. Baltimore Fiscal Partners is a boutique CPA firm specializing in accounting and consulting services for nonprofits, small businesses. And with experience running nonprofits and small businesses, they know that there's not always enough time at the end of the day for you to focus on your finances, whether it's monthly bookkeeping or an annual audit, tax preparation, or consulting, nonprofit or small business. Baltimore Fiscal Partners provides full range or tailored solutions that keep your goals and budget in mind. Learn more about Baltimore Fiscal Partners online at BaltimoreFiscal.com or follow them at Baltimore Fiscal on Facebook and Instagram.